I'm reading 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 26. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So what do singing and dancing kitchen appliances have to do with today's passage? You know, this morning after taking a break for our Easter celebration, we're returning to our study of 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul's final letter that was written to his young protege, Timothy. And as you might remember, Paul languishes in a Roman prison. He knows his defense isn't going well, and he can hear the executioner practically outside his door. And so he writes the letter that we're studying, the letter of 2 Timothy. These are passionate and personal instructions, passing on wisdom and instruction to the young man who's going to follow him, that this young man might protect and proclaim and pass the gospel off to the next generation. But what does singing and dancing household items have to do with today's set of instructions? Well, you know, as Jacob Napa and I were discussing this passage to put together the morning order of worship, Jacob made a comment that totally opened up this passage to me in a new way. As I was looking at verses 20 through 21, which, uh, which Liz read for us, I realized it reads like a parable. Verse 21 telling us that there's a master of the house, and the parable in 20 and 21 makes clear that there are all kinds of animate household vessels trying to make themselves useful to the master. And it struck me, it's just like Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Well, maybe without so much singing in Paul's version. Boy, that really fell flat. I feel like I should feel like I should try that again. All right, in all seriousness, these verses are sort of like a parable. Again, there's a master of the house, and we find all of these vessels that are desiring to be useful vessels to the master. And, and Paul says, Timothy, the church, the church is like a great household. It's filled with all kinds of vessels that are for various use. You, Timothy, you should do your best, do your best to put, to be useful to your master. Be a vessel useful to the master. I mean, colloquially, colloquially, there you go, I got the word. Paul was telling Timothy, strive to become like the, the master's favorite mug. And hence the title of this sermon, the master's favorite mug. Now, originally I thought I might title this sermon, The Good China. But there's a problem with that title is that I don't think Paul's really telling Timothy to be the good China because, let's be honest, who, who's the good China for? 
Um, I don't know about you, but we have good china at our house, and I don't know who that's actually for because all it does is sit in a case. Um, I, it certainly is not for me. So I don't think Paul is saying, Timothy, be like the good china. I think he's more saying, Timothy, be like the master's favorite mug. You know, a vessel that's useful to him. You know, because like me, you, you probably at your house, you might have a cabinet and it's full of mugs, coffee mugs and tea mugs that you've collected over the years. And, and you keep getting more. You know, this week, Leah came home and she goes, look, I found these two new mugs. Aren't they so cute? They were on clearance. I hate you, TJ Maxx. Because the problem is we have so many mugs that to put these new mugs in, we had to take other mugs out. And we're constantly having to call mugs. But you know what? I have this cabinet full of mugs and new mugs coming in and uh, an ever-rotation of mugs. But when I want to make a cup of coffee, do you know what? I always grab the same mug. No matter how many mugs rotate in or out, I always grab, I have a favorite mug. I brought it with me this morning. This is my favorite mug. This was given to me by Abigail a couple of years ago. I love it. It says, I love that you're my dad, which, of course, endears me to the mug and to her. It's a great size for my coffee. It fits. The mug handle fits really well in my hand. So every time I want to make a cup of coffee, no matter how many mugs are in my cabinet, no matter how often they rotate, I still grab that mug. Because it's a mug that's useful to me. And I feel like that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, you want to be that favorite mug. You want to be the mug that the master defaults to grabbing and using because you're so useful to him. You want to be a useful vessel, a favorite mug that the master grabs and uses because he says, this one, this is it. It's ready for my use. And friends, what makes for a useful vessel? What makes a vessel useful? In verse 21, we heard Paul tell Timothy, he he said, this is what makes a vessel useful. Set apart as holy. Verse 21, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So set apart as holy. A vessel useful is a holy vessel. Now, holiness is such an ethereal, abstract concept that when I've taught about holiness before, Many of you know I have brought from my house one of the holiest items in my house in order to illustrate what holiness is. And the holiest item in my house is my, uh, you guys remember, my toothbrush. This is the holiest item in my house because a toothbrush illustrates the two most important aspects of holiness. Purity and holiness is personal. Holiness is purity and holiness is personal. You see, when my children were younger, I found that they did not respect the holiness of my toothbrush. And I remember one day walking into the bathroom to find my toothbrush being used to scrub the bathroom floor. Now, toothbrushes have been and can be used for a wide variety of cleaning purposes. However, my toothbrush is holy. It is set apart purely for cleaning my teeth and my teeth only. And once the purity of this toothbrush, its purpose has been violated, that toothbrush is no longer useful to me. And now note in Paul's illustration about all the different vessels, you notice he says there's a variety of vessels in the house, and they all have different uses. Well, the fact is, friends, a vessel needs to be used purely for its intended purpose, because on Thursday, many of you have commented, yes, I did get a haircut. 
And I happened to notice that after the woman cutting my hair cut them, she grabbed her electric clippers and she had a toothbrush too. But she didn't brush her teeth. She used it to clean the electric clippers, which is great. But once that had been used to clean her clippers, do you think I'm going to grab that and stick it in my mouth? Do you think afterwards when I left, she was like, time to clean the teeth? No, she got up with a mouthful of hair. It's gross. But more than that, once she's put that in her mouth, is she ever going to use it to clean her clippers? No, the point of purity is that something has a purpose. And it's used purely for that purpose. And to violate that is to make it impure, no longer good for the purpose it was set apart for. Again, my, my toothbrush that cleans my teeth once it's used on the floor, cleaning the floor is totally valid use for the toothbrush, but not for my toothbrush. It's violated its holiness. That toothbrush is fine to use to clean her clippers, but once she's cleaned the clippers, she's not going to brush her teeth, and if she did, she's not going to use it again to clean the clippers. Purity is about purpose, set apart for a purpose. And notice that's what Paul's arguing for in verse 21. Verse 21, he says, if anyone cleanses himself from what's dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use. So, Timothy, cleanse yourself from the false teachings, the dishonorable doctrines that are all around you, and set yourself apart from them, and set yourself apart for the Master's exclusive use. Because a toothbrush holy to my mouth is not going to get mixed up in cleaning the floor. And the toothbrush holy to the barber's clippers does not get, you know, mixed up cleaning someone's teeth. Holy is purity of purpose. And the same holds true for my favorite mug. You know, in my household, especially when my kids were younger, they loved to paint. They loved to paint. And inevitably, one of our mugs becomes a repository for dirty brushes and dirty paint. And that's fine as long as it's not mine. Not my mug. It's not going to be dirtied by your acrylic creativity. My favorite mug is a vessel useful for me because it's pure. It's set apart for my coffee and cleansed from other dishonorable uses, like paintbrushes. Holiness is about purity of purpose. But friends, holiness is about purity, but it's also about personal. Holiness is personal. You know, not that long ago, I came in to brush my teeth, and this sadly was not that long ago. I came in to brush my teeth one night after all my kids had gone to bed, and I picked up my toothbrush, and I said, why is my toothbrush wet? And I came to realize that for however long, another member of my family had been confusing my toothbrush for her toothbrush, and I don't know how long that was going on, how many days before. Now, the good news is the toothbrush was being used for its purpose, which is brushing teeth. The bad news is it was being used for brushing someone else's teeth. Because holiness is about is personal. The toothbrush must not just be set apart for its purpose, but be set apart for its purpose in relationship. My toothbrush doesn't just brush teeth. It brushes my teeth. And my teeth alone. You know, the same is true of my favorite mug. You know, have you ever had that moment you walk in and you're like, what are you doing? That's my mug. Why are you drinking out of my mug? Why are you making your tea in my mug? That's not a tea mug. That's a coffee mug. Come on. See, a vessel is supposed to be set apart for my personal use. Holiness is purity. Holiness is personal. And Paul writes to Timothy, he says, strive to be like the master's favorite mug. 
holy, useful to Him, purely holding to the Gospel, unsullied by the false teaching around you, and personally His, set apart and ready for His use. So that as Paul writes in verse 21, you're ready for every good work. Ready for every good work. A useful vessel. Well, what does that look like? How do we do that? He goes on to give Timothy and to give us some instructions. There in verse 22, he says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So he says, to be a vessel useful, then you have to run from and you have to run to. So run from and run to. There are things from which you need to run and there are things to which you need to run. And Paul writes, flee from youthful passions. Now, now sometimes those passions, we can become passionate about sinful things and he could be referring to sinful desires and passions. And from those, obviously, friends, we should always flee. But passion doesn't always mean something wrong or sinful. You know, because we can also be distracted and derailed by things that aren't sinful, but they sure aren't necessary either. And so when we hear Paul warn in verse 23, he says, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. That's verse 23. And you've got to wonder if Timothy was kind of like some of us. See, was Timothy kind of like some of us? Maybe he struggled with that, that arrogance to always be right. You know, that, that prideful chip on your shoulder, the need to prove yourself right and prove the other person wrong, no matter how trivial the matter or how high the cost. You know, there's a popular meme on the Internet, and it says, in fact, there you go. Are you coming to bed? I can't. This is important. Why? Someone's wrong on the internet. And youthful passion cannot rest until every foolish and ignorant controversy is settled, till every erroneous idea is disputed, and every argument is engaged. And Paul says, Timothy, flee the sinful passions that dirty, yes, but also flee the youthful passions that are going to distract you. You know, because you have a purpose, to be a holy vessel, set apart for the Master's use. So flee from anything that dirties or distracts, and instead flee towards what? He says flee towards righteousness, faith, love, peace. Pursue these things. Pursue these things. And this is not the first time that Paul has offered Timothy this type of a list. Um, Samuel just put up there 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. So the previous letter to Timothy, Paul said the same thing. But as you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Now, I don't think either of these lists are meant to be specific or exhaustive. I think they're meant to be representative. Re representative. These are the type of things, Timothy, you should pursue. Don't pursue the youthful passion that says, I have to prove that I'm always right. Don't demonstrate you're the smartest person on the playground, Timothy. Pursue instead the things that matter. Pursue righteousness, right standing and living before God. Christ is our righteousness. Pursue faith. Step out in faith to follow and obey Christ. Love. Love others as Christ has first loved you. Peace. Peace with God and with one another is made possible through Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ is our peace. Timothy, 
flee that which dirties and distracts and instead pursue Christ. For He's our righteousness, our faith, our love, our peace. That will make you a vessel useful to the Master. That will make you a favorite mug that when He comes to the cabinet, He's likely to choose and to use. And friends, we'd be remiss not to note that the vessels most useful to the Master seem to come in a matching set. Did you catch that in verse 22? In verse 22, Paul says that vessels that are useful to the Master come in a matching set. Verse 22, he says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Church, our pursuit of Christ, who is our righteousness, faith, love, and peace, is not something that you and I can do alone. God has given us a gift, and the gift is His church. You are a gift to me, and I am a gift to you, because we're in this together. We're pursuing the Lord together. We're calling on Him from a pure heart together. Together becoming vessels useful to Him. Helping one another to become a mug the Master is likely to reach to and use. Friends, with whom are you pursuing Christ? who is part of your matched set. And in verses 24 through 26, Paul moves on to instruct Timothy that being a vessel useful to the Master is not only about how you handle yourself, which is what he's just been discussing, isn't it? Timothy, this is how you handle yourself in holiness. But he moves on in 24 through 26 to say it's not just how you handle yourself, Timothy, it's how you handle others as well. It's how you handle others as well. Now remember, Paul from the very beginning of this letter, he has repeatedly warned Timothy that the Lord's servant, the one who faithfully holds to and holds out the gospel, is going to to suffer persecution, rejection, and cancellation. And at the very beginning of this letter, what did Paul say to Timothy? Chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Therefore, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So verses 24 through 26 here are instructions for Timothy and for us. How should the Lord's servant, a useful vessel, respond to persecution and suffering? How should we handle those who oppose and persecute because of the gospel so that we might be a vessel useful to the master? And again, look at 24 through 26. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So first thing first, Paul reminds Timothy he doesn't need to attend every fight to which he's invited. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. You see, Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, there are plenty of trolls out there on the Internet who are just looking for a fight. They're not looking for the truth. So don't pursue the youthful passion to engage every theological punk who's out there on the playground, Timothy. You see, Paul's kind of like an old gambler. And he advises young Timothy, he goes, Timothy, you've got to know when to hold them, and know when to fold them, and know when to walk away. 
and know when to run. Not every hand is worth playing. Not every game is worth staying in. And sometimes the best thing to do, Timothy, is walk away. The Lord's servant shouldn't be quarrelsome. And instead of quarrelsome, what should the Lord's servant be? He should be kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil. You know, one commentator wrote, some who oppose us might even be taken aback when they see that we're not contentious. The Spirit may even use our gentleness to disturb the conscience of an opponent and open a door for his work of conversion. You see, the Lord's servant, the vessel useful to him, should not be in it to win every argument. Church, our goal is not to win every argument. Our goal is to win over our opponents for Christ. And in that, the old adage holds true. You catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. So Paul says, be kind, patiently instruct, endure evil slander, and gently correct. And you'll catch more. You'll catch more than angry, righteous arguments, no matter how true and right those arguments might be. Church, if we win the argument, but we lose our opponent because we were a jerk, we've lost. Because that's not the Master's purpose. Some will walk away. Yes, some will always walk away. Because the truth itself is offensive. But if they walk away, let them walk away because the truth is offensive, not because of how we handled them or handled the truth. And in saying this, I recognize we live in a culture of offense right now, and everybody is quickly and easily offended by everything. And some are going to be offended simply because you dared to disagree with them. Some will be offended because you won't celebrate the emperor's new clothes or new marriage or new sexuality or new gender or new political cause. We live in a culture that's quick to take offense, slow to listen, quick to cancel those who disagree. And Paul writes, Timothy and all who follow Christ, don't play that game. Don't play that game. A vessel useful, a servant faithful is characterized by kindness, by patient instruction, by enduring evil slander, by gentle correction. Church, how we handle ourselves in this quick-to-take-offense, quick-to-cancel culture is of vital importance. We dare never, never, never water down or back down from the truth, but neither do we want every exchange we have to become a throwdown. Because our goal is not to win every battle and to lose the war. Our goal is not to win every argument, but our goal is to win over our opponents. And kindness, patient instruction, enduring evil slander, and gentle correction, Paul says, are likely to do that. And church, will those characteristics characterize us? Will they characterize you? And Paul closes in verse 26 by reminding Timothy and reminding us of an important thing as we approach this, that helps us as we approach this. Verse 26, Paul reminds us that our prayer is that those who oppose us may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Church, people are not the enemy. People are never the enemy. People, it says, are pawns of the enemy. Captive, deceived, blinded, and snared. Our fight is not with them, but with the true enemy of all humanity. It is as we sing so often in this church, O church, arise. Our call to war is to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captain. 
We love the captive soul, but just like a drowning person, when you try to rescue a drowning person, in her fear she may lash out and hurt you. In your efforts to, to rescue someone who's fearful or panicked, they may perceive you as the enemy, and they may attack you despite your efforts to help. But friends, even then, she's not the enemy. He's not the enemy. We love the captive soul, offering kind and patient instruction, enduring evil slander, giving gentle correction, and praying earnestly that God might grant repentance so that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, being captured by him to do his will. Church, do you look upon those who oppose and slander the name of Jesus Christ with contempt or with compassion? Is your impulse to just put them in their place or to invite them into God's grace? Do you wield the truth of Christ as a life-saving device or like an argument-winning weapon? Church, Paul's instruction to Timothy is not just about how we handle those outside the church. It's also how we handle one another inside the church. You, you might remember that, that Jesus had to say to Peter in Matthew 16, he said, get behind me, Satan. Yikes. If Peter can be tripped up by the devil, so can I. And so can you. We too can be tripped up and snared by his deceptions. And we need brothers and sisters committed to not punishing us with the truth. But by kindness, patience, gentleness, loving us back home with the truth. It's what church discipline is and should be. And Paul wrote of a wayward person in 2 Thessalonians 3.15 saying, Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Don't water down the truth because it's a life-saving device. But neither should you wield that truth like an argument-winning weapon. Our call to war is to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor. And this, this church is the will of the Master and the work of a vessel useful to him. So church, a vessel useful to the master, a favorite mug that he's likely to reach for is one set apart, holy to him. Right before Easter, we took a break for Easter, we studied and heard that God's looking for those who handle rightly the word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15 Do your best to present yourselves as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. A useful vessel handles the Word of God well, and as we just heard, handles him or herself well, and then as we finally heard, handles others well. Handles the Word of God well, handles him or herself well, and handles others well. And is that us? Are we vessels useful to the Master? A favorite mug to which he is likely to reach and put to use. Paul knows his time is short. He desires that Timothy and all who follow Timothy, which is you and me, might become vessels useful to the Master. Set apart, ready to be used for his purposes and his glory. And so it is, friends, that we come to this table here. We come to the table of grace because we want to become vessels useful we want to be servants faithful. We want to be holy, set apart. But we recognize we can't do that in our own strength. Because we struggle. We fall. We become dirty and distracted. And so the Lord provides us a table of grace. For our cleansing. 
and our strengthener. Remember what Paul instructed Timothy and told us to pursue in verse 22. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And friends, we come to this table now pursuing righteousness, not our own, for Christ is our righteousness. We come to this table by faith, that our faith might be strengthened, that we might boldly step out in faith to follow and obey. We come to this table to be filled again with the love of the Master, so that we might turn and love others as He loved us. We come again to this table of peace because Christ is our peace. He brings us peace with God and enables us to seek peace with one another. We come to this table not because we are vessels useful and holy, but we come to this table to be made vessels useful and holy. We come to the table to be made vessels useful and holy to the Master. So church, come. We invite Christ to make us a favorite monk, a useful vessel, a favorite servant, a faith faithful servant, by His grace. So we come now to the table. And as we do, if the elders would come forward and let's pray. Father, we come now to Your table of grace. We come now to receive what Christ has done for us. We come now to remember and to celebrate. And we pray, Father, that You would make us useful, that You would make us holy, that You would make us Yours. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Friends, we come to the table, and this is a celebration for those who have called Christ as Savior and Lord, who have confessed with their mouth and believed in their hearts that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. If you are a member, a regular attender, or just visiting with us, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come and to celebrate with us as we come to the table of grace, as we remember the love of the Father, and as we ask Him to make us vessels useful and holy before Him. Brian, would you pray for the elements?